0: Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshabible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: And for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us, for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.
0: We are looking at Philemon uh, come November 15th. I'll have been here 20 years in the last book of the New Testament that I have yet to teach is Philemon. Uh, We are doing somewhat of a flyover on Philemon, and then we'll be starting Isaiah 66 chapters beginning next week. There is a key idea found in Philemon, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul says, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. This is a gospel-rich short letter, and we will note that. The introduction... A two Philemon that I'll be giving you this morning is far larger than the four points that I will be sharing at the end of the study. So when we get through the introduction, uh, just keep in mind that the body itself will be a little bit tighter. But one of our problems when we read the New Testament and in handling the biblical text is asking it questions it was never meant to answer. To think the Bible has an answer for every question and a solution to every problem is laying on it a grid it was not meant to handle. So we might be coming to Philemon, expecting Philemon to answer all sorts of questions concerning slavery and the relationship of a slave to a master. And yet that's not what Philemon is doing. In general, the answer to every question is always Jesus. So if you don't know what answer to give, just say Jesus and you'll be doing well. How we apply that answer must sometimes settle in the generic rather than the specific. And that's what happens in the book of Philemon. But let's consider for just a moment the issue of slavery as it existed in the first century. When considering the idea of slavery in the first century Rome, and that's where we are right now in Asia Minor, it is important to begin with knowing slavery is slavery regardless of time or culture. Some people would want to say, well, it was different then than now, but slavery is slavery. A slave had no rights in first-century Rome. Some argue the distinction between an indentured servant, which would be somewhat voluntary, and that of a kidnapped slave. But once in the place of servitude, the problem only escalates rapidly down the path of abuse and exploitation. Slavery is always bad. The Bible controlled slavery and the relationship one had with the other, but it did not condemn slavery outright. The Bible believes especially that when the gospel takes place, those things do indeed go away. For the Christian, the relationship was to be controlled by the gospel. And that's what we see in this very short letter to Philemon. The gospel changes everything. And what we see in Philemon is the transforming power of the gospel. In Rome, during this period of time, there were 60 million slaves. And the danger of revolt was constantly to be guarded against. A rebellious slave was promptly eliminated, and that's what Onesimus was. He was a slave who stole from his master Philemon and fled. And if a slave ran away, such as Onesimus, at best he would be branded with a red-hot iron on the forehead with the letter R standing for runaway. And at the worst, he would be crucified to death. Paul well knew all this, and slavery was so ingrained into the ancient world that even to send Onesimus back to the Christian Philemon was a considerable risk. Philemon had rights over the slave Onesimus. In the Greco-Roman world of the first century, the slave was considered a living tool of the master. The slave was property in every sense of the word. This understanding heightens the tense scenario that is in view here in this short letter. It is likely that Onesimus may have even feared for his life upon returning to Colossae. Undoubtedly, Paul had asked this runaway slave to return to what could amount to a potentially severe and life-endangering situation. But what the apostle Paul was counting on was the transforming power of the gospel because the gospel changes everything. The epistle to Philemon is a prison letter. It's co-authored by Paul and Timothy. We see that in the opening salutation. And it's addressed to Philemon. And notice Philemon 1. It says Paul, a prisoner, he's not pushing forward his apostleship, but his status as prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. And consider this. It's a, it's a private letter that's public. Paul's writing it to Philemon about the relationship he has with Onesimus, but notice whom he addresses. To Philemon, our, be- our beloved fellow worker and Ephea, our sister and Acrypas, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is a prison letter co-authored by Paul the Apostle with Timothy to Philemon, a leader in the Colossian church. It deals with the themes of forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul does not identify himself as an apostle with authority, but as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, calling Timothy our brother and addressing Philemon as a fellow laborer and brother. And the letter concerns, as we have noted, a young man named Onesimus. A slave who apparently has robbed his master and runs away. That's why Paul says, whatever has been taken from you when I come, I will repay it. At some point, Onesimus, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, meets the Apostle Paul. He meets the Apostle Paul. He hears the gospel and comes to faith in Christ. Paul intervenes on his behalf. He mediates and again, Onesimus might not have wanted to return to Philemon, but the Apostle Paul, in speaking to his now son in the faith, says, You need to make this right with Philemon. And he sends Onesimus back to Philemon. And he encourages Philemon to receive Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Why? Because the gospel, the gospel changes everything. Now, Philemon was a wealthy Christian possibly a bishop of the house church that met in his home. Anyone that uh, hosted a house church had to have means. And it, it doesn't tell us as if Onesimus was the only slave inside the household. So Philemon, being a wealthy man, might have had multiple slaves. It is the shortest of Paul's existing letters and consists of only 335 words in the original text. It is also apparent in... And, and When you read the letter, you really feel the heart of the Apostle Paul. It is apparent from the language that it is strongly relational and heartfelt. The word heart occurs in verse 7, 12, and 20. Notice how it is used. Verse 7, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, speaking to Philemon, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Philemon is very instrumental in encouraging other believers And then notice verse 12. It says, I am sending Onesimus back to you. I am sending my very heart. That's how much the apostle Paul aligned with Onesimus. And then verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. By you acting in an appropriate way, a gospel-rich way, my heart will be refreshed. This idea of heart inside of Philemon and the New Testament speaks of the innermost movement of the individual. It speaks of their bowels. Even the way Paul speaks of himself and his relationship to Philemon communicates this very intense and expressive language. So when you read Philemon, you read this passionate relationship that the Apostle Paul had with Philemon. Now, as a little book, it is often overlooked when flipping through the pages of the Bible. It's After Titus, before Hebrews, and those are two titans, and then you have this very little book entitled Philemon. It is the only completely personal word from the apostle directly to an individual. And yet, while small, only one chapter containing 25 verses, it is profoundly practical, filled with gospel implications for the Christian life. Philemon helps us see how the gospel remakes us. The gospel changes everything. It transforms all of life and then how it shapes our interactions and relationships with other people. Now, there is a preponderance to the occurrence of the word Jesus and Lord when you read Philemon. Jesus himself is the interpretive framework for understanding the entire letter. The word Jesus or Christ and Lord occur at least 10 times in this brief epistle. It is indicative of the prominence of the person and work of Christ which defined Paul's life. So whatever else we might say concerning this short letter of Paul encountering Onesimus, who had stolen from his master Philemon, flees, encounters Paul, gets saved, the gospel changes them. Everything is controlled by Jesus. Everything in this letter is controlled by the gospel. In Paul's view, one is always in danger of saying too little about Jesus Christ, not too much. So, even though you might say all we talk about is Jesus, we are still in danger of not saying enough about Jesus. Because the entire story speaks to us about Jesus. Indeed, Jesus Christ was the hinge around which all of the apostles' thoughts, energies, words, and actions revolved. But the light of the gospel in Philemon is discovered to an even greater extent when one is aware of Paul's reflection of Jesus himself. Why does Paul do and say what he does? He doesn't says what he does because of Jesus. He is simply reflecting what Jesus has done for him. So even though when we read Philemon, there might be an apparent lack of any theological weight or vocabulary to the letter, the action and imagery typifies the transforming power of the gospel found in an encounter with the living Christ. Why? Because the gospel does indeed change everything. There is so much in this short letter that needs to be explored. However, right now, I would like to simply consider four gospel ideas that are communicated in what we read. So there are four implications of the gospel, and our interpretive grid is Jesus. What does this say concerning all of it? Well, the first thing that I'm wanting us to note, and we see it clearly in Philemon, is that the gospel changes us. If you were to take time and reflect back on what your life was like, what your thoughts were like prior to accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and death, you would agree that your life was different. Why? Because the gospel changes us. I'm not the same person I was prior to accepting Christ as my Savior from sin and death. The gospel changes me. The gospel changes us. Notice what the apostle says. He says in verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So Onesimus encounters the apostle Paul. Paul introduces him to Jesus. Onesimus accepts Jesus. And Onesimus is changed. He then says in verse 11, formerly he was useless to you. He was of no value. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'll comment on that in just a moment. The word Onesimus means useful. He wasn't as this unsaved slave, but now because of the gospel, he has become useful. Regardless of the area or conflict or problem, this letter addresses, and again, it is meaty. It is of no consequence without the transforming power of the gospel. What do we do with Philemon, a slave owner, Onesimus, a slave within the household who steals from his master and runs away? How do we address that? Well, how we address that changes because of The gospel. All that follows in the letter is built on and flows from the gospel. Now, the believing and the unbelieving, and I've noted this repeatedly and I've reflected on it often, we have the same problems. We have the same problems as the world in which we exist. The difference is our worldview and approach to solutions. For the believing, it is always a gospel-driven and sourced response. And why? Because the gospel changes us. And we respond differently and we see people differently because of the gospel. The gospel took Onesimus from a criminal slave to a fellow brother in Christ. And his story is our story. That's what we were. This is now who we are. He was no longer identified as a sinner, but as a saint. Uh, Just this week, many of you perhaps can relate to this. I changed phone carriers and phones. I went from an Android to an Apple. Now, I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I've made the great leap. And I fully recognize when it comes to technology, all I have to know is the on and off button. But I know that there are smart people out there, and they've helped me all week, one being my grandson. There are smart people that tell me that the two systems talk to each other, an Android and an Apple can communicate, but they are different. You and I are in this world, but not of this world. We can communicate with the world around us, but folks, we are different. And the reason why we are intrinsically different is because the gospel changes everything. And the way that you and I look at the world around us and how we deal with conflict and relationships is dramatically altered because of the gospel. That's what Philemon communicates. That's what Philemon tells us. Now, how the Apostle Paul came into contact with Onesimus is unknown. Now, if Paul is a prisoner, how in the world did Onesimus encounter Paul unless Onesimus himself somehow was jailed? Or this is during a season when Paul was under house arrest and able to receive visitors. What forced Onesimus into contact with the Apostle Paul, we don't know. But in God's providence, he had the Apostle Paul and Onesimus, the slave, meet each other, and it was for the purpose of the gospel. And all of us have those kinds of encounters. How in the world did that ever happen? It happened because God ordered it to happen. And I thank God for those divine encounters. And that's exactly what happened in the life of Onesimus. What is interesting about Paul's letter to Philemon is how he refers to Onesimus' name in verse 11. Formerly he was useless, but now he is indeed useful. The name Onesimus in Greek means useful or beneficial. Paul makes a play on words because the gospel has gripped Onesimus' heart and he was transformed. And that same gospel that has transformed Onesimus has transformed us. The gospel transforms our very identity. We, too, were once useless. We lived life our own way, following the passions of our sinful hearts. Rather than worshiping the one who made us, we bowed down to false substitutes. We didn't live as the image bearers we were created to be. But now in Christ, we've been remade and we've been given a new identity. The gospel changes everything. The story of Onesimus is not an exceptional story or a unique story. This is a story repeated from creation until the very return of Jesus. And why? Because his story is our story. We have all been Onesimuses. This new identity also changed how Philemon now was to be viewing Onesimus. And that walks us into the second part of the gospel. Not only does the gospel change us, but the gospel changes our perspective of others. It's interesting in verses 1 and 2, verse 15, verses 17, 23, and 24, the Apostle Paul cites various individuals and he speaks of them as our brother, our beloved brother, our fellow worker, our fellow soldier. He speaks of them as partners, as fellow prisoners, as fellow workers. What happens? The gospel not only changes us, but it changes our perspective of others. He says to Philemon, do not receive him. I am sending him back to you. You have right by law to do what you want with him. But I am sending him back to you and do not receive him as a bond slave, as a slave, but rather as a beloved brother. Why? Because the gospel changes our perspective of others. The gospel changes people. It causes people to go from where they were to where they now are. It causes those noted to become a band of brothers and sisters in Christ. It causes individuals such as ourselves to be isolated and disconnected into a family of families. Onesimus was brought into the family of God. Once he was an outsider, now he was united to Christ by faith and then to every other believer throughout time. This meant that Philemon was also his brother in the faith. The church is not defined by economic status, wealth, ethnicity, family background, and other social distinctions. They all become secondary to our new identity in Christ as God's sons and daughters. How many times have you walked up to an individual in church and said, Hey, brother, how are you doing? You don't do that with individuals out in the world. You do that with another brother or sister in Christ. Because the gospel changes our perspective of others. It transforms our relationships. Our relationships with one another in church go deeper than those with whom we share a similar DNA. We share the blood of Christ and are united together for all eternity. This is why New Testament writers so often use family language when talking about members of the body of Christ. Why does it use family language? Because we are family. And this has a significant impact on how we interact with one another in church and, more importantly, how we deal with conflicts and with one another. Because the gospel changed Onesimus, Philemon was to receive him as a brother. Our perspective of others is shaped by the gospel. Because the gospel changes us, we can view others differently. So we read the book of Philemon and we recognize that the gospel radically changed Onesimus. But what is equal of interest is that the gospel radically changed the Apostle Paul. It radically changed Philemon. It radically changed every individual that is listed in this short letter. And because the gospel changes us, it changes our perspective of others. We are brothers and sisters. We are a family of families. But when you talk about Philemon, there is a problem in Philemon. You have a slave stealing from their master and then running away that's the problem the slave encounters the apostle paul paul shares with the slave the gospel the slave receives the gospel and is radically changed paul then says to the slave you must now go back to your master and make amends considering the historical context in which they existed that is a frightful proposal But the gospel changes how we address and deal with conflict. This entire letter seeks to resolve a relational tension between two people. The first thing that I would note about this is that it was not a private letter, but an open letter to to forgive, to reconcile, and to receive. So whatever it is, we think, well, the Apostle Paul is writing to Philemon as an individual and asking him to reconcile with Onesimus. And he's mediating the Apostle Paul between these two conflicted parties. And he says to Philemon, whatever he owes you, whatever he has done, I will pay fully that debt. But he's doing that in front of the entire church. It was a public affair and as a public disruption, it can often require a public resolution. The church knew what had happened. The second thing which is interesting concerning the conflict is that it requires generosity and sacrifice. It required generosity and sacrifice on Onesimus's part to go back to Philemon and submit himself to that process. It required generosity and sacrifice on Philemon to receive him and not do what law demanded. It required generosity and sacrifice on the Apostle Paul's part to say, I will mediate between these two conflicted parties and I will pay whatever debt exists. We've already noted how in the days of the Apostle Paul, in the days in which this letter existed, Paul could have faced legal charges for harboring a runaway slave. And Philemon had every right to require payment from Onesimus. Paul leaned on the gospel He recognized that the gospel changes us radically. He recognized that the gospel changes perspective and it changes how we address conflict. He pointed out to Philemon how the gospel changes how we relate to one another. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul mediated the conflict between Philemon and Onesimus as Christ And again, remember that Paul is reflecting what God has done for him in Christ Jesus. As Christ mediated for him, he acted as a substitute, asking Philemon to charge him what Onesimus owed. Philemon knew the grace of God at work in his own life. Philemon had been changed by the gospel, bringing him from death to life in Christ. How could he then refuse mercy to Onesimus? Notice how the Apostle Paul addresses the offense. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I'm good to say nothing of, you're owing me even your own life. Whatever Paul has done for Onesimus, Paul has also done for Philemon. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Yes, I want to receive something from you. Do this for me. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, it is apparent that Onesimus did something to rob Philemon and cause a debt. And the offense was public. The church knew what had happened. So Paul addresses Philemon to waive the debt. And if unable to waive the debt, charge whatever is owed to his own account. Now, this appears very much like the Good Samaritan. If you think of Luke chapter 10, listen to the language in Luke 10, 33 through 35 concerning the Samaritan. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, listen to the language. This is great. Take care of him. This is a stranger whom he did not know. Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Paul clearly plays off our Lord's advocacy for us before the Father. Just as Jesus mediates in our behalf, so also Paul mediated for Onesimus before Philemon. Listen to the encouraging language found throughout the New Testament. 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. My little children, my, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, a mediator, a go-between with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. Romans eight thirty four, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And Hebrews chapter seven, verses twenty-three through twenty-five. The former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I am thrilled. I am grateful that right now, before the Father, Jesus Christ is mediating in my behalf. What Paul parrots, what Paul imitates, what Paul reflects is that dynamic. What has happened? The gospel changes us. And it changes how we view one another as believers in Christ. And it changes then how we address conflict. Paul's specific repayment of Onesimus' debt was founded upon and intentionally reflects the payment for all sin which the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for the world. This is what he, Jesus, has done for us and thus we do for one another. Paul is willing to do for Onesimus what Christ has done for him. But in a very real sense, the gospel also calls on Philemon to forgive Onesimus and, if possible, set aside the debt. Now, a significant part of Philemon is that we have no idea what the resolution was. We know what has taken place. We know that Philemon is a disciple, a convert to the gospel, and Paul was instrumental in Philemon's conversion. Philemon is a wealthy homeowner landowner businessman and he has possession one of his slaves onesimus steals from him and flees when he runs away he encounters an imprisoned paul paul shares with onesimus the gospel onesimus receives the gospel and is transformed he's changed because of that it changes how we view one another paul now wants onesimus to return to philemon And Paul says to Philemon, whatever the debt was, I will pay it when I come. But receive Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a fellow brother in Christ. We don't know what happened. There's no follow through as to what happened. We do not know how Philemon received Onesimus or Philemon acted on Paul's appeal. This brings us to our fourth implication of the gospel. Not only does the gospel change us and our perspective of others and how we handle conflict, but the gospel changes the end of one story. Paul says in verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me. If possible, I would have loved to have Onesimus with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. The gospel gave Onesimus and Philemon and the Apostle Paul and the church family a second chance to respond to a difficult and public moment in a gospel-rich Context. Now, although this is hypothetical, if I were in that scenario that I just painted for you, and you have the Apostle Paul who was instrumental in your coming to Christ, and you have a slave that left, and that slave robbed you, and now that slave is saved, he's now a brother in Christ, and the Apostle Paul says to you, take Onesimus back but don't take him as a slave but as a brother and whatever debt he owes you I'll pay what I would love to see happen is that you simply forgive the debt and allow Onesimus to continue with me now I would assume if that's the scenario I would assume Philemon would forgive Onesimus and not require payment from the apostle Paul and I would, cons- I would invite you to consider that idea. And I would assume once all of this was straightened out, Philemon would send Onesimus back to help the Apostle Paul. Because I couldn't imagine Ones- Onesimus coming with a letter from the Apostle Paul asking what Paul did and Onesimus and Philemon saying, Well, no, I'm just going to kill Onesimus or I'm going to demand from Onesimus the payment of debt or I'm going to hold Paul responsible for Onesimus' debt. I think Philemon would forgive Onesimus and when Paul arrived would allow Onesimus to continue with the Apostle Paul. Now that's what I think. The gospel changes the end of the story. Here we are in 60-ish A.D. Now let's fast forward to about 100 A.D. And you have an individual named Ignatius. Ignatius is one of the great Christian martyrs. And he's being taken to execution from Antioch to Rome. And as he goes, he's writing letters to the various churches of Asia Minor, which still survive. He stops at Smyrna and he writes to the church at Ephesus. And in the first chapter of the letter, he has much to say about this wonderful bishop who is over the church in Ephesus. And what is the bishop's name? Onesimus. And Ignatius makes exactly the same pun on, as Paul made by saying he is Onesimus by name and Onesimus by nature, the profitable one to Christ. It is hypothetical, but highly probable that this is perhaps the same Onesimus that we have in our story with Philemon. Why is this so? Because the gospel changes everything. Our failure is not fatal. God can, from the ashes of our failure, raise us up and make us useful. And why? Because this is what God does. I am not yet finished, and I have not yet completed all my failure. But Paul does not end there. Notice his short epilogue at the end of the letter. He says in verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He mentions John Mark. John Mark, like Onesimus, got a second chance in the gospel. In Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 40, there's a division between Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Paul does not. Paul takes Silas. Paul is against John Mark because of John Mark's desertion. But later on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the apostle Paul writes, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Only Luke is with me, and then he says, Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me for service. We do have the sad story of Demas, but also the equally and opposite story of John Mark. Why? Because the gospel changes us and it changes everything. Why? Because the gospel is the gospel of the second chance. So where do we go from here in this short study of Philemon? Four thoughts. First, the gospel completely transforms people. You take people that you know right now in our world, and when they encounter the living Christ, they are changed. I am thankful for that. I am living proof of that, as are you. The gospel changes people. Paul, Onesimus, Philemon, we're all transformed by the gospel. The person in your life that you think will never accept Christ, God has not done yet. The second thing is, just as God has forgiven, reconciled, and received, so also are we to forgive, reconcile, and receive others, and specifically those who have offended us. Just as Christ has received you, so also are we to receive others. The gospel changes how we view one another. The third thing is that the gospel enables reconciliation, and that reconciliation between others might cost something. Paul's reach is wide. The gospel is substitutionary and sacrificial. Forgiving, reconciling, and receiving the offender can be costly, but no more than what God in Christ has already done. And for us, regardless of how miserable you might have failed, right now you might be wrestling with a failure. The gospel gives you a second chance. This isn't a call to looseness, but to life and liberty in Christ. Paul's reach is wide. He ends the short letter as he began with grace. There is no possible way for this scenario to resolve itself apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why is this so? Because grace gives what is undeserved. Ephesians four thirty-two says, "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, slander, be put away from you, along with all malice." And then it says, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has also forgiven you. The good news in Philemon is that we are all Onesimuses. Sinners are the very ones for whom Jesus advocates. We are the runaways. We are the fugitives. We are the criminals who await requital for our rebellion. And yet it is on our behalf before that the God's son stands and says, charge all of that. To my account. Put their sins on me. Receive them as you receive me. Christ is the one who offers to settle all our debts, who resolves all the damages done by our sin, who pleads with the Father for fugitives to be welcomed back as sons. We, the unrighteous ones, stand with a righteousness not our own. And whereas the apostle sealed his pledge with his own signature, Jesus the Savior, seals His promise of redemption with His own blood. We have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, the book of Philemon is a small book. The depth and weight and breadth and height of it is great. We have simply considered four implications of the gospel as it's played out in this scenario And, Father, we recognize that in the absence of gospel, there is no resolution. But the gospel changes everything. Thank you, Father, for changing us. We pray for those who have yet to accept Jesus. We pray, Father, that they would receive the gospel and that we would once again see this transformation of life. Thank you, Father, that there is hope for conflict, for tension. And that hope is found in Jesus. We thank you in his name. Amen.